Welcome everybody to week two of the power of small. This journey we're taking together as a church family to explore just how important the small things are in our lives. That little things done consistently and strategically over long periods of time can make a big difference in our lives. Whether you're talking about your relationships, your finances, your, your health, or your faith, it turns out that the little things really are the big things. And, and I love how James, the brother of Jesus, puts it in his letter in James 3, chapter 4, or verse 4 there on the top of your outline. Notice he says, a small rudder can make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. And even though the winds are strong. Now, I want you to circle the phrase, wherever the pilot chooses. Because see, every day we make choices. Little choices and little decisions that seem insignificant at the time, but somehow have a way of adding up to where we end up in life. And so to help us leverage the power of small in our individual lives and in the lives of our church family, we are not only talking about it here in our Sunday morning messages, but we're studying it in our small group studies and all of our home groups. We're reading about it daily in our Power of Small daily devotions that we're posting on our Facebook and Instagram pages, or you can get them from our website or app that we're all reading every day together about the Power of Small. And then what I love the most about this journey is that we're not just talking about it, studying it and reading it, but we're doing it. We're doing one small thing that all of us can do that turns out to be a big thing. It's just simply to invite someone to join us on this journey, to connect with our church family, to connect with the hope of the gospel in Jesus. Because there are many of us here who have experienced the power of a small invitation to make a huge difference in our lives. And so I'm really hoping that you will be a part of all of the parts of this power of small journey. Now today, what I want us to do is to see the power of small in the people that God uses. Did you know that God does some of his biggest work through some of the smallest people? And I don't mean small in stature, you know, like Zacchaeus, the wee little man. I mean small in the world's eyes. Small, seemingly insignificant people who don't have a lot of power or influence in their lives are most often the people that God uses to accomplish the biggest task. I love how the apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says, God chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And things counted as nothing at all and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Why would God do that? Why would he work through the weakest, the smallest, the, the downtrodden, the marginalized? Why not work through the rich and powerful and famous? I'll tell you why, because when God works through little old us, little old me, little old you, he gets the glory, right? It's obvious it's not us doing it, that it is God doing it in and 
through us. So let me ask you a question. Do you think God could use little old you to do something significant in the lives of the people around you? I mean, do you believe that God could work in and through your little old life to make a big difference? Now, I know if you've been in church for a long time, you know the Sunday school answer to this is yes. You, you know you're supposed to answer yes, but I'm not asking what you think the right answer is. I'm asking how do you see yourself right now today? Do you believe God could use you to make a difference? And if not, why not? I mean, fill in the blank. God can't use me because I'm what? I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough financial resources. God can't use me because I've got all of this stuff from my past. I've messed up my life and I'm not really in a good place. God couldn't use me because I'm too weak. I'm too insecure. I'm too worried about what everybody else thinks. Whatever you would put in that blank, we're gonna look at a guy today who had all of that and more. And yet God used him in an amazing way. His name is Gideon. And you'll find this story in the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges chapter six and seven tell Gideon's story. And it's a, it's a long story. All kind, this thing would make a great Netflix series. I'm telling you, they could get multiple seasons out of this. There's all, so much stuff going on here. And I gotta try to condense it down into about 35 minutes. So uh, you're gonna have to do some reading on your own time to keep up with this whole story. But I wanna hit some of the highlights it's truly amaz an amazing story. See, Gideon, he is the weakest son of the weakest family in the weakest tribe of his nation. And he lives in a time when his nation is at the weakest point in their history. And yet, God would use him to rescue an entire nation. God would turn this insignificant farm boy into a national hero. When we're introduced to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, we find him in a wine press thrashing out wheat. Now, if you know anything about a wine press, basically a wine press is about a six to 10 foot hole dug into the ground. It's a, a round hole down in the ground. Maybe it has wood sides and a wood floor. Some of them are just dirt, but it's where they pressed out the grapes to make wine, right? People stomping on the grapes. But Gideon isn't in the wine press stomping out grapes. He's threshing wheat which basically means he's taking stalks of wheat and he's trying to separate the wheat, the kernel, from the chaff, these shells around them. Now, in order to do that, you need the wind to help you, the wind to help blow away the lighter chaff. So why is he down in a hole where there is no wind? Because he is scared to death. An enemy nation, the Midianites, had invaded 
the nation of Israel, 135,000 strong, came in like a swarm of locusts and destroyed everything the Israelites had. All of their cities, their crops, their flocks, wiped everything out. And those few who survived were now hiding in caves, desperate just to survive. They're just trying to eke out a living. And, right, and anytime they tried to get something going, maybe grow a little garden, get some food to eat or, or have some sheep or whatever, the Midianites would come right back in and they would destroy everything they started. And usually they would kill the person who was trying to grow the garden or do any kind of positive rising up in their life. And so Gideon is hiding trying to just separate a little bit of wheat, make a little flour, make a little bread, just so his family could get something to eat. But you also need to understand, Gideon is not just hiding in that hole because he's fearful of his circumstances. Fear is a part of Gideon's nature. Psychologists today would say that Gideon has an inferiority complex. He has a low self-esteem. He's an incredibly insecure person. Today, we would probably diagnose him with generalized anxiety disorder and maybe a little bit of mild depression. So this is an ongoing struggle for Gideon. And so when God shows up to transform Gideon from a zero to a hero, he doesn't just magically zap him and remove all his insecurities. He actually takes Gideon through a series of small steps to turn this zero into a hero. And they're the same five steps that God wants to take us through in order to be able to work in and through us to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. Five things God does to turn zeros like us into heroes. One, he affirms our potential. He starts by affirming our potential. Because see, God doesn't see where you've been or who you are right now. God always sees what you could be. He sees the potential in you. That's why when the angel of God shows up, notice what he says to Gideon in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Do you catch the irony in that? Now, on the surface, you'd think the angel is just kind of making fun of Kip. Mighty hero hiding out, scared to death, trying to, you know, keep himself in, from getting in trouble. But it's not meant to be a poke. It's meant to be an encouragement, an affirmation. Because he doesn't see Gideon the way Gideon sees himself or the way Gideon looks right now. He doesn't see Gideon's past. He sees what could be. And interestingly, this is not the only time God does this. You see it throughout scripture, right? When God chose King David to be the next king of Israel and the prophet Samuel goes, David is the youngest child, the runt of the litter. And everybody says, no way, this kid's not the king. Maybe one of his brothers, they certainly look more powerful and more kingly. And do you remember what God said to Samuel? Man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. God sees the potential. He always meets you where you are, but he sees 
where you could be, who you could be, right? Jesus did that with Peter, right? You remember that day Jesus said, your name is no longer Simon, your name is Peter. You are the rock on which I will build my church. And when he said it, Peter was no rock. Peter was the most unstable guy in the whole group. So why did Jesus say you are the rock? Because he could see what could be, not what was. I really find Gideon's reaction to being called a mighty hero interesting. Notice verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. I want you to notice the words I emphasize in those verses. If, why, where, but. I emphasize those because that is the vocabulary of insecurity. That's how insecurity comes out. Well, if God would do this, then maybe I would let him use. If, 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 if I could see God showing up, if I could trust him more, if, I, if he was closer to me, if things worked out better for me, those are the words of insecurity. And so when you find yourself saying if, but, where, why, you might wanna recognize that your insecurities may be getting in the way of allowing God to use you. See, allowing God to do something in and through your life is not about God magically removing your insecurities. It's about you being willing to push through those insecurities and do what God is calling you to do. That's why it's interesting. Gideon asks all these questions about where God is and why. God doesn't answer the questions. In verse 14, God just simply says, go with the strength you have. I will be with you. I am sending you. He says, look, you don't need all those answers. You don't need to have the whole thing figured out. Just get up out of the hole. Just do the next thing. And when Gideon climbed out of that wine press, he wasn't free from his insecurities. You read this story time and time again, three different times, Gideon tests to make sure it is the Lord. He struggles with these insecurities all of, our life, all of his life, but when he climbed up out of that hole, he was at least willing to take one small step to God's bigger vision for his life. What insecurity keeps you from taking your next step? What are you afraid of? I think for a lot of us, we're afraid what other people might think of us or what they might say about us. We don't wanna try anything because, you know, they might say we think we're too good or we're holier than thou or, or we think we're above our race and we're scared to death of what people are gonna think or say about us. And I get it. I know that struggle personally and intimately. But maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is not what other people are gonna say, the question should be, how long are we gonna allow ourselves to be controlled by the opinions of others? How long will we live chained to what everybody else thinks instead of becoming who God has created us to be? Maybe for you, it's not what other people think. Your insecurity is a fear of failure. You're afraid to try something for God because you're afraid it won't work. Well, listen, when you're obeying God, you're never a failure. If you're taking a step of obedience in God, even if you fall flat on your face and it doesn't work out the way you thought it would, that's not failure. That's just a learning experience. That's just a growth journey that God is 
taking you through. God wants to use you. He shows up with an encouraging word of your potential. Then number two, the second thing he does is he tests us. He tests us. See, once Gideon took that small step to climb up out of that hole, God immediately called him to take a bigger step of faith. Notice verse 25 and 26. God says to Gideon, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Now, what in the world's going on here? Well, you have to understand that when the Midianites took over and were oppressing the nation of Israel, that many of the Israelites decided to compromise their faith, thinking if we can just go along to get along, if we can do a little Baal idol worship, a little pagan worship and worship God, maybe we can compromise a little bit and maybe they won't oppress us so much. And so they begin to adapt this pagan religion worship. That's what Baal is, a pagan God. And because it was a fertility God, these Asherah poles were like a totem pole, like an idol. And God says, you gotta tear that stuff down. And what I find interesting is that one act that God tells Gideon to do, test three areas of Gideon's life. You might wanna write these in your margin. One, it is a spiritual test. It's a spiritual test for Gideon to say, who's gonna be God in your life? What's gonna be God in your life? What's gonna have number one priority in your life? Are you gonna to continue to have divided loyalties or are you going to trust me and make me the number one priority? Secondly, it's an emotional test. It's not just a spiritual test. It's an emotional test because this ain't no random community altar. This is his daddy's altar. His daddy built this altar and placed this Asherah pole there. And so for him to tear it down, that's gonna create some family drama. There's gonna be some issues with one of the kids, the youngest, weakest son, tearing down daddy's idol and Asherah pole. But see, here's the thing. God using you has gotta start with the people closest to you. God's not gonna use you to change the world unless you're willing to let him use you to make a difference in your family, the people closest to you. To you. It's a spiritual test. It's an emotional test. And then third, it's a physical test. This is a physical risk. Tearing down this altar and this Asherah pole puts Gideon's life in danger. In fact, that's why Gideon tore it down in the middle of the night because he didn't want anybody to know he did it. And sure enough, when the sun came up the next morning and the people in the town saw that the uh, altar and the pole had been torn down, they're like, who did this? Somebody gonna pay. Somebody got to die. This ain't right. And I don't know how they figured it out, but somehow they figured out that it was Gideon who did it. So they show up at Gideon's daddy's house. His name is Joash. And they're like, Joash, Gideon tore this stuff down. You gotta send him out because he got to die. And I love Gideon's dad's response. He's like, really? Does Baal need you to defend him? If Baal really is a God, don't you think he can take care of whoever tore down his altar and pole? 
It's a brilliant answer. And they go away going, yeah, we'll let Baal take care. But what I love about it is look at the impact Gideon's faith had on his dad. His dad built the altar, right? And now all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute. This boy's right, right? He influenced his own family. I believe the more open you are to God using you to make a difference, the more God's gonna test your faith. And understand, when God is testing your faith, when you're going through the trials, through the difficult, painful times that don't make sense, understand, God has not abandoned you, he is preparing you. He's getting you ready for the next thing he wants to do in your life. So let me ask you, where are you being tested right now? Where's God testing you in your journey? Is it a spiritual test? Is it a test of who's gonna be God in your life? Is there a Baal in your backyard? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a material possession. Maybe it's power, a job, a relationship. God said, I'm a jealous God. You will have no other God before me, right? Maybe that's the test. Maybe there's some idols you need to tear down in your backyard. Or maybe for you, it's an emotional test. It's time to have that long overdue conversation, that tough conversation with that family member, with that person that's closest to you. Or maybe it is a physical test. Maybe there are some risk, some physical things you're going through. And God wants to use that to strengthen your faith. If you want God to truly use you, you gotta allow him to, test you, and you got to trust him in those tests. And when you do, the third thing that happens is he empowers us. He empowers us. On the other side of testing is where God's power most often shows up. This is so interesting because Gideon was willing to take those small steps to get up out of the hole, to tear down his father's altar, God's power shows up in scaredy cat Gideon in an amazing way. Look at verse 34. It says, then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. And the men of the clan of Absir came to him. You see what's happened? God's turned this loser into a leader. This insecure guy who's hiding like a scared schoolgirl in a hole in the ground is now standing on the mountaintop, blowing a trumpet, calling his people to war. But don't miss the lesson. God's power is found after the testing, not before. Because if I were to ask, how many of you would like to have a little more of God's power in your life? We'd be like, yeah, give me some of that. Would you like God's power to break those bad habits that keep jacking up your life? Yeah, I want some of that. Would you like more of God's power to be a stronger Christian in your faith? Yeah, sure, I want that. But listen, it doesn't come from showing up here every now and then, singing hallelujah and filling in some blanks. It comes from trusting God in the test of life. I love this great example in Jesus' life, right? You know that when Jesus started his public ministry by being baptized by John in the Jordan River, 
When Jesus comes up out of that water, what's the first thing he does? Where does he go right after his baptism? Into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he's tested and tempted in the wilderness. But what I want you to see is how Jesus goes into the wilderness and then look at how Jesus comes out of the wilderness. This is found in Luke chapter four. We're gonna put it up on the screens. Luke 4, 1, this is Jesus going into the testing. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Notice, Jesus was full of the Spirit before the testing. He already had the full measure of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christ follower, you do too. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, you have the full power and full presence of God in you. It's there, all that you need. But now I want you to look at how Jesus comes out of the wilderness. Luke 4, 14, it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's what? You see that? It's power. God's power shows up after we're tested. The only way to get God's power in our lives is to trust God in the trials of our lives. He affirms our potential. He tests us. He empowers us. And then number three, he keeps us humble. He keeps us humble. Being used by God is not a one and done. It's an ongoing, lifelong process. And part of that process is God reminding us whose power is at work. I love this part of the story now. Gideon blows the trumpet to call the men to war. 32,000 men show up ready to fight back against the Midianites. That's a pretty good army. Problem is, they're going up against 135,000 Midianites. Not great odds, but okay, right? I mean, that's a decent army. And so what does God do? He says, yeah, that's too many soldiers, right? And so he tells Gideon, go out and speak to the troops and tell them any of them who are afraid don't have to go and fight. If you're afraid, you can go back home. And there must have been a lot of them afraid, a lot of little Gideon-like people with insecurities because 22,000 went back home. Now Gideon's got 10,000 to fight 135,000. And you think, man, that's humbling. God says, no, we ain't done yet. Gideon, 10,000's too many. You take all of them down to the river and you watch how they drink water out of the river. Because those who are careless, who throw down their sword and spear and just lap up the water, put their face in the water to drink, those, those aren't worthy to fight. They're careless men. But those who kneel down, stay alert, and drink water with their hand, those are the true warriors that you need. And guess what? 9,700 soldiers drank the water like dogs and had to be sent home. Now Gideon's got 300 people to fight against 135,000. Why would God do this? This is a horrible strategy for victory. Why, God? Well, look at what he says, Judges 7, verse 2. You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you, remember all of you, 32,000 versus 135, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. It was about recognizing that this is God's victory, not you, not your strength. 
And what's even more amazing, you think reducing the troop size down to 300 is humbling? You should hear the weapons that God said you're gonna fight with. God said, these 300 soldiers, Gideon, they don't need spears or swords or shields. Give them all a clay pot. Like, what? You freaking kidding me? A clay pot? What are we gonna do? Hit them over the head with a kitchen pot? He said, no, give them a clay pot, give them a torch. He's like, oh, great, torch. Yeah, that's gonna win a war. And then give them a horn. He's like, what, are we starting a band? Are we starting an army? We got a big enemy to fight. God says, no, this is what I want you to do. The battle strategy is phenomenal, but it requires humility. Here's why this is so important. Because the moment you think You can win this battle on your own. That's how God will let you fight it, on your own. So let me ask you a question. Was there a time in your life where you you started to feel God's power? You started to sense God moving, working, making a difference in your life? Was there a time when you felt like you were growing consistently spiritually? You had a stronger faith, but now it just seems like it's not there? Maybe pride's gotten in the way. Maybe you figured you could take on life on life's terms and in your own strength. Let me tell you from my own experience, it ain't gonna happen. Oh, you can manage it for a while, but eventually life is going to get bigger than you. And the question is, will you be tapped into God's strength or will you be still trying to fight it in your strength? After God affirms us, tests us, empowers us, and humbles us, then, then, and only then, does he use us. That's number five. He uses us. This is so cool, right? 300 men with some kitchenware, some torches, some tiki torches, and some French horns, and they're going to fight 135,000 hardened warriors. Well, all 135 of those warriors were camped down in a valley, And Gideon said, here's what we're gonna do, guys. Light your torch, but put the vase, put the clay pot over it so they won't see us. It'll hide the flame. And then we're gonna surround them on the ridge. We're gonna spread out. We're only 300, but we're gonna spread out in the middle of the night. And when I give the command, break your jars, which is gonna make some noise, and all of a sudden the light's there, And then we're gonna blow our trumpets and we're going to shout for God and for Gideon. What an amazing strategy. And I love what happens. Notice Judges 7, 22. It says, when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled. Total and complete victory from God, not because of Gideon, but because of God working through the scared little insecure man who is now a mighty warrior. Look, I I don't know the battle you're fighting right now. I don't know the insecurities that you struggle with every day. I don't know the fears that tend to be debilitating in your life, but I do know this. God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of people around you. And you can't do that hiding in the wine press. So what does it look like for you? 
What is your next step? Maybe for some of you, it's just about getting out of the hole and taking that one little step of faith. Maybe that means it's time for you to publicly profess Jesus as Lord through baptism. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe for some of you, you've got some idols to tear down. Maybe for some of you, you've got some hard conversations you need to have with people you love, your family members. Maybe there's a relationship that is so toxic and unhealthy, it's pulling you away from being who God created you to be. Maybe it's just time to actually connect with other believers beyond just sitting in a big crowd like this on Sunday morning. Maybe it's time to do life with a handful of others in authentic Christian community and it's time to take that step. Maybe for some of you, it's time to get up out of the seat, stop sitting and soaking and get up and stop serving Jesus in your campus. Look, look, I know taking that kind of step, teaching a class of three-year-olds is way more scarier than taking on 135,000 Midianites. But if God's calling you to do it, he'll give you the power to do it. He will enable you. I don't know what your next step is. I just know this, whatever God is calling you to do, if you'll just take that one little step towards him, he will show up and do more than you could have ever asked or imagined in your life because that church is the power of small. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that what we're reading about and talking about today, this is not some made up Netflix story. These are real people living a very real life, just like us. And that from their example, we can see how you can use us to make a difference. And so God, give us the courage. Meet us in our doubts and our fears and insecurities. Move us to get up out of the hole and get back in the game. To be a part of your kingdom. Because Lord knows this world could use a little more light and hope. This country could use a little more light and hope. This community could use a little more light and hope. There's too many around us living in caves. Too many people around us overwhelmed by the darkness and the evil and the emptiness. God, you have called us to a kingdom of light. So let us break the pots, get up out of the hole and shine the light of love and hope to the broken hopeless around us we need you to Jesus we need you so we move from just talking about the power of small to living out the power of small we need your help Jesus move right now in your name we pray